This is Jeff Cross, and welcome to the February 6, 2023 edition of Views on the News from the Couch, a baby boomer's attempt to pass along his views on the news. No quick hitters, no moving on, just the Twitter files today. Last week, I spent quite a bit of time reviewing the Twitter files. I made voluminous notes and have tried and failed to shrink them into something smaller for the podcast. My intent is to do this in two sections. Section one today will concentrate on the it. What is the it that the Twitter files revealed? Tomorrow, I will focus on my views of the it. But I will give you a sneak preview of my views. Our batters inside of government and in the media spoke power to truth. More on that tomorrow. What are the Twitter files? Elon Musk felt it appropriate to clean house, figuratively speaking, to let the people see behind the curtains on how Twitter handled speech. He gave several journalists and authors access to Twitter files. They were Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, Lee Fang, Michael Schellenberger, David Zweig, and Alex Berenson. My sense is they tend to be moderate liberals who will possibly now be ostracized from the cool kids table. Let's get started. Twitter file number one by Matt Taibbi. He presents that in the early days, Twitter was a say-what-you-want site, but as time went on, they drifted towards more censorship approach. And political actors seemed comfortable making requests to delete tweets or throttle back the viability of tweets. A graph is presented showing Twitter employees favored Democrats over Republicans in pr political contributions by 98% to 2%, and the thought is that carried over into how content was moderated. Mr. Taibbi had a lengthy review of the Hunter Biden story. My read is a decision was made to ban a true story. The why, meaning why Twitter was banning the story, only mattered as a means to justify the decision. And the why changed as earlier why explanations were found to be wrong. Again, the why could change so that the what, the ban, stayed in place. Polls showed a decent percentage of Biden voters say they would have changed their vote if they had heard of the Hunter Biden laptop story without the false claims of misinformation. Wow, a concerted effort by media elites altered an election. Does that mean the election was stolen? Nope. Manipulated? Absolutely. Twitter file number two was by Barry Weiss and quoting her, quote, New Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret without informing users, end quote. An example the author gives is that of Dr. J. Bhattachara of the Great Barrington Declaration fame. He was placed on a, quote, trends blacklist, end quote, which kept his tweets from trending. What did the good doctor tweet to deserve this treatment? He argued that COVID lockdowns harm children, along with other similar thoughts. And as it turns out, he was mostly right. Twitter had mid-level employees making decisions on tweets and if they should be banned or deamplified. And they had rules to follow. But some decisions got kicked up to a site integrity policy, policy escalation support team, which was headed by the bigwigs. They did not seem to have to follow policy rules and could freelance. 
One person who was not on the team but seemed to weigh in was former FBI bigwig James Baker, who was fired from the FBI and was a rabid Trump hater. This segment also had quite a bit on the repeated seven-day suspension of the libs of TikTok site moderator. I think this is a person who takes videos uh, publicly posted on libs of TikTok and posts them on her Twitter account with little comment, just letting more folks see what self-identified liberals are publicly posting. Twitter suspended the account multiple times for hate speech. Wrap your head around that. Hate speech was replaying speech. Twitter file number three by Matt Taibbi covers a push to remove Trump from Twitter in the October 2020 to January 2021 timeframe. Quote, Twitter executives removed Trump in part over what one executive called the context surrounding actions by Trump and supporters over the course of the election and frankly, last four plus years, end quote. In the end, they looked at a broad picture, but that uh, approach can cut both ways. End quote. My take on Twitter and Trump, they hated Trump. Trump gave them a lot to hate. They banned Trump because they wanted to, but he gave them hooks to hang their metaphorical coats on. Twitter file number four by Michael Schellenberger has more on efforts to ban Trump from Twitter. The powers to be at Twitter struggled with a coherent policy-based reason to ban Trump. I do think there are some things that you just know it when you see it, and trying to write an all-encompassing policy can be messy, tedious, and not that great. I almost wish Twitter had just said, we hate Trump. This is a private company, and we choose to deny him service. I'm more bothered by the deamplification of Trump tweets before the 2020 election. That could have affected the election. Twitter Files Part 5 by Barry Weiss had more on the removal of Trump from Twitter. This is getting old. A groundswell of employees wanted Trump banned from Twitter. But Twitter employees who dug deep repeatedly said no clear violation of Twitter policies. For comparison, Barry Weiss includes a tweet from 2018 where Iran's Ayatollah said, quote, Hashtag Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen, end quote. The tweet was not deleted and the Ayatollah was not banned. The tweet, this tweet from a former Malaysian prime minister was deleted, but the user was not banned. Quote, Muslims have a right to be angry and to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past, end quote. Other examples are given. Again, just put in your terms of service, we can ban anyone for any reason and then use it sparingly. Say you hate Trump. The Twitter Files Part 6 by Matt Taibbi, titled Twitter, the FBI subsidiary. He shows lots of contacts between Twitter and the FBI, but that does not bother me too much. This bothers me, quote, but a surprisingly high number are requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets from low follower accounts, end quote. Taibbi shows one request for Twitter to investigate for misinformation, which is a guy sharing a few jokes that are harmless. If this is what our government is getting involved in, then we are living in 1984. If you don't know what that means, check out the book. 
Example after example of tweets that I think none of you would think should be deleted or the account suspended. You might think they were bullshit, but that's a different subject. What gets me is not that Twitter did what the FBI asked, but that the FBI was aware of some obscure person cracking a joke or saying, get out to vote if you don't want Democrats to win, and the FBI asked that the tweet be checked out by Twitter. Private company Twitter, I cut some slack. FBI wannabe 1984, I do not. The Twitter Files Part 7 by Michael Schellenberger can be summed up by this, quote, how the FBI and intelligence community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's business, foreign business dealings both after and before the New York Post revealed the contents of his laptop on October 14, 2020, end quote. The FBI took possession of the laptop in December of 2019 from a computer repair guy. In August of 2020, no word from the FBI, um, though the repair guy thought there was evidence of criminal activity, so he contacts Rudy Giuliani. In October, Giuliani contacts the New York Post, shares a copy of the hard drive, and the Post comes out with a story. A story that seems to have been entirely true. Per this Twitter file, through much of 2020, the FBI and other alphabet governmental entities, quote, repeatedly primed Yoel Roth to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation, end quote. Yoel Roth was a key guy at Twitter. As an aside, Twitter told the FBI there were very few Russian-related attempts in the 2020 election. The FBI has the laptop had it for over seven months, must have known it was legit, and still actively attempts to quash a true story that could influence the election. Does that bother you? The Twitter Files Part 8 by Lee Fang, quote, how Twitter quietly aided the Pentagon's covert online PSYOP campaign, end quote. Fang says that Twitter said they fought government manipulation of Twitter messaging, but that they allowed the U.S. militaries to engage in online psychological influence operation. One was to amplify certain Arab language accounts. Lots of stories of the U.S. government surreptitiously using Twitter to peddle fake information um, about our adversaries. Okay. In the light of day, I don't think it sounds good, but I'm pretty sure it's been going on since Honest Abe was a young man wrestling. Oh, and we might think of this a bit when we get all excited about other governments surreptitiously feeding false information into our political echo chamber. I link to an article titled The History of Fake News from George Washington to Donald Trump. The Twitter Files number part nine by Matt Taibbi on Twitter and quote other governmental agencies, end quote. Evidently, lots of government agencies were using their Twitter accounts, uh, connections, to influence the narrative. It seemed that the FBI had a number of agents doing keyword searches on Twitter, looking for terms of service violations, and then notifying Twitter. Some of the notifications for violating terms of service were from, quote, a foreign influence, end quote, task force, um, was forwarding thousands of mostly domestic reports along with the DHS about the fringiest materials, end quote. Taibbi says there were lots of contact between the agencies and Twitter, 
and by implication other social media companies. The CIA is specifically referenced. I'm not bothered in a general sense, though I am surprised that Twitter went along with it. What bothers me is the potential for abuse. Twitter Files Part 10 by David Zweig on how Twitter rigged the COVID debate. Quote, by censoring information that was true but inconvenient to U.S. government policy, by discrediting doctors and other experts who disagreed, by suppressing ordinary users, including some sharing CDC's own data, end quote. Quote, internal files at Twitter that I viewed while on assignment for, uh, for showed that both the Trump and Biden administrations directly pressed Twitter executives to moderate the platform's pandemic content according to their wishes, end quote. I don't think this was a Trump or a Biden thing. I think this was a bureaucracy thing, a power thing. The Trump administration was seeking help, quote, to combat misinformation, end quote, on things like panic buying and runs on grocery stores. Biden administration pressured Twitter to deplatform anti-vaxxers. I'm not including, including examples of what was suppressed because there are so many. Example after example of opinions and facts that were true but inconvenient to the administration. Some were retweets of peer-reviewed articles. Some were passing along CDC data. And yet, in example after example, truthful tweets were characterized as misleading or false. Hey, maybe they do millions a day and are going to get a few wrong. That is almost always the answer when conservatives call out bias. But in case after case, it seems reverence to a government position, whether sensible or not, was more important than the truth. That bothers me. Part 11 by Matt Taibbi on how Twitter let the com intelligence community in. Twitter thought they had very few Russian government-related tweeters. But a congressional senator leading a committee and others like Hillary Clinton seemed sure that Twitter had a Russian government tweeting problem. I don't know the facts. Maybe they will come. But it seemed that Twitter was exposed to an old school judicial process. Keep torturing a person until they confess. Part 12 by Matt Taibbi on Twitter and the FBI belly button. Per Taibbi. The Global Engagement Center was related to the U.S. State Department and issued a report, quote, Russian disinformation apparatus taking advantage of coronavirus concerns, end quote. Okay, but this bothers me, quote, the GEC flagged accounts as Russian personas and proxies based on criteria like describing the coronavirus as an engineered bioweapon blaming research conducted at the Wuhan Institute and attributing the appearance of the virus to the CIA, end quote. A lot of governmental interactions, but none were summarizing. My takeaway is that saying something the government did not like was enough for the government to label you taking part in a Russian disinformation effort. Part 13 by Alex Berenson on Pfizer's suppression of COVID-19 debate. I was surprised to learn in this file that almost half of Pfizer's revenues in 2021 came from the COVID vaccine. Nothing wrong with that on its face, but surprising. Much of this part of the Twitter files was spent on a doctor who was pro-vaccine in general, but said that natural immunity was superior to the COVID vaccine. 
I think at the time that was believed to be true. Studies show his comments to be true. A former FDA commissioner and Pfizer board member worked through a Twitter lobbyist to encourage Twitter to act on the, twit on the tweet. Twitter found no violation but tagged it as misleading and adjusted the settings so few would see the tweet. Full disclosure, the author, Berenson, per the linked article, was attacked by some in the government and they pressured Twitter to ban him, which happened. A lawsuit followed and I believe Twitter admitted they were wrong, per a linked article. Part 14 by Matt Taibbi on the Russiagate lies is titled, quote, The Fake Tale of Russian Bots and the Release the Memo Hashtag, end quote. In early 2018, Twitter informed the Senate Committee investigating Russian interference into the 2018 election and specific to release the memo that, quote, our initial inquiry based on available data has not identified any significant activity connected to Russia with respect to tweets posting original content to this hashtag, end quote. What was release the memo, you may ask? I did. It was a memo Senate Chairman Nunes had prepared that highlighted a number of issues with the FISA application to surveil Carter Page, a fringe person in the Trump orbit and campaign. And I think the controversy was that many wanted it, the memo release, but the liberal media said many of those screaming for its release were Russian bots. While the contents of the Nunes memo were eventually verified by DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz, the media lackeys went after Nunes and his memo. Washington Post had an opinion piece titled, quote, The Nunes Memo is Out. It's a joke and a sham, end quote. The files show a headline, I guess, from MSNBC saying, quote, Two ex-DOJ officials on Nunes Memo. A bad joke, end quote. An unnamed outlet had a headline, quote, XRNC chairman rips Nunez memo for the joke it is. The Onion is mad you're stealing their material, end quote. The Hill had a headline of an article titled, quote, Andrea Mitchell, Nunez has turned House Intel Committee into a joke, end quote. Does it seem like the media all received a memo that said, make sure you use the word joke in denouncing the Nunez memo? It is almost like parts of our government and much of the media was working hard to distract us from something that turned out to be true. At this point, I coined a new phrase. The media has never been perfect, but in the past, most wanted to speak truth to power. I'm sure some got co-opted by access to the powerful and would bite their tongue on some issues. But many journalists viewed the news not just as a profession, but a mission, a higher calling. So far, reading the Twitter files make me think many in the media are just hacks. Partisan hacks. Partisan hacks that help government speak power to truth. I had never heard of the Hamilton 68 dashboard. Evidently, a former counterintelligence official created it. On the board was John Podesta, who was campaign chairman for Hillary Clinton in 2016. My sense is that Hamilton 68 dashboard was able to find a tweeting Russian bot under every rock, while when Twitter investigated, they said they were not Russian bots. The significance of the Hamilton uh, 68 dashboard was it was wildly, widely quoted to show there were lots of Russian bots tweeting stuff, and I think to argue that Republicans are being used by the Russians, or in cahoots with the Russians. 
there seemed to be a lengthy back and forth between Twitter and Senator Blumenthal, who kept asking for accounts to be investigated. When Twitter did that and found they were not Russian bots, Blumenthal would come forward with another list to be investigated. Rinse and repeat, over and over. Senator Blumenthal must have had the view that he had a conclusion and was seeking data to support it. Taibbi said, quote, as a result, reporters from the AP to Politico to NBC to Rolling Stone continued to hammer the Russian bots theme despite a total lack of evidence, end quote. Back to release the memo, per Taibbi. An article from the AP, quote, Russian Twitter accounts push release the memo conservative main, researchers say, end quote. U.S. News, quote, Nail in the coffin for Nunes' memo. The Democratic response to the GOP on FBI surveillance adds new details to case against Nunes and the Russian investigation. End quote. Rolling Stone said, quote, Release the memo. What's the conspiracy behind the right-wing main? Republicans claim a secret document reveals a Hillary Clinton plot worse than Watergate, and they're getting a big boost from Russian bots. End quote. Taibbi identifies more Russian bot accusations and other stories. The author of the memo, David Nunes, said, quote, Schiff and the Democrats falsely claimed Russians were behind the release the memo hashtag, all my investigative work. By spreading the Russia collusion hoax, they instigated one of the greatest outbreaks of mass delusion in U.S. history, end quote. Closing comment by Matt Taibbi, quote, this release the memo episode is just one of many in the Twitter files. The Russiagate scandal was built on the craven dishonesty of politicians and reporters who for years ignored the absence of data to fictional scare headlines, end quote. Part 15 by Lee Fang on how the pharmaceutical industry lobbied social media to shape content around vaccine COVID policy. He suggests that Big Pharma worked with Twitter to help moderate content to prevent what they thought was misinformation. I'm being very careful with my words. I don't want to be sued. This is my interpretation from the file that I am reading. Some of the tweets were just stupid, like those saying they, there were microchips in the vaccine. Yes, yeah, stupid, but I'm still a free speech guy. Other tweets that uh, troubled Big Pharma were more policy discussions. In conclusion... I tried to find a summary of the Twitter files from someone I trust. Jonathan Turley made comments in late December about how the FBI's involvement with Twitter should scare us. Andrew McCarthy did not seem to uh, have much to say on this. As I searched, I saw some articles, but none, on either side of the aisle that I thought might give me a fair read. I stumbled on an article by The Guardian and figured, hey, let's see what the Brits have to say. The linked article by Keenan Malik is called The Twitter Files Should Disturb Liberal Critics of Elon Musk and Here's Why. I like the opening paragraph. Quote, half the room is jumping up and down screaming, gotcha. The other half shrugs its shoulders muttering, so what's new? Welcome to the war over the so-called Twitter files. End quote. The article seems fair, but not a lot new. Maybe because I just read the Twitter files. But a summary he offers truly bothers me. Quote, the most worrying issue the Twitter files have exposed is the level of contact between the social media company and state security organizations. The FBI regularly holds meetings with Twitter executives 
pressuring them to take action against, quote, misinformation, end quote, even when this amounted to little more than a satirical tweet and demanding the personal data of users. Twitter, to its credit, often pushed back. Nevertheless, the Twitter files do show an unhealthy relationship between social media and state security, end quote. Tomorrow, I will share more views on this goat roping. Thanks for listening to Views on the News from the Couch. If you like this podcast, please share with your friends. If you did not like it, please share with the rest of the folks you know.